the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. episode. Ooh, that was a good one. <laughs> Welcome to another episode. I think you meant to say episode. episode. Yes. Welcome to another episode, everybody. We're happy to be with you. Yes. We're so grateful for all our listeners and just pray for you always before we record. We're beginning in prayer, lifting each one of you up. We get so many comments, both in traveling. I just got back from a real trip, believe oh, yeah. it or not. Yeah. It was not a Zoom talk. Yeah. I was actually in person <laughs> in Wisconsin. And wherever I go, we haven't been going all that many places during these covid times but people talk about how much the podcast blesses them and they talk about how you're the star of the show when they do they do (laughs) i always say wendy's the star and everybody agrees so it's funny (laughs) okay i mean jesus is the star of the show whatever's good about this podcast comes from grace Mm -hmm. but grace right works through nature yeah. And your nature is pretty special, just Thank saying. You. Thank you for your love. I appreciate that a lot. And we, besides you traveling, we had another experience recently that was special yeah. that you were going to share with us. I wanted to share with everybody. Everybody knows I love movies. Yeah. And Wendy and I watched a movie last weekend. In fact, we watched it twice yeah. in one weekend, which means we liked it. Mm-hmm. And it means it's deep. And it means there's stuff you got to... You got it. You're only going to get out of it if you watch it again. That's why I watched it again. It's called Wild Mountain Time, but not time as in TikTok clock time. Time as in the, is it an herb? It is what an is herb. It? An mm-hmm. herb. T H Y M E. Yeah. Wild Mountain Time. Emily Blunt is in it. Um, and Christopher Walken is in it. It's set in Ireland. And it's a, it's a love story, but it's more than just a love story. It's a, f- about family stuff, brokenness, uh, the need for God's grace, recognizing how grace works, how heaven kind of breaks through with signs in this world. Um, I will say this, the one thing I was kind of put off by was the number of times, uh, you know, it's Ireland, they're kind of, let's just say the way they express the terms Jesus and mother of God are not prayerful. Mm. <laughs> um, I shouldn't even be laughing when I say it because uh, it's not it's not funny. It is. I, I found that actually grating and painful, uh, all that uh, taking of the Lord's name in vain. But it's part, it's, it's, you're getting a slice of Irish culture, you're getting a slice of Irish farm life, and the symbols are profound. If anybody's been in class with me when we're watching a movie together, in in class, you'll you'll know how I say always watch for the symbols, and mm-hmm. it's especially important in this movie. Watch for the symbols. The symbols tell the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, should I say more than that, or just leave it like that? I think that was good. Yeah, watch this. Yeah, there's symbols. Pay attention very carefully to all the symbols. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're seeing. I think if I could just add a little bit that there's something. There's a message in the landscape. Like mm-hmm. the land is is almost like a character in yes. the story and a, an important um, 
aspect of the character the human characters lives is their relationship with the land and how that also connects them to god and to their sense of god's will for their lives and struggling to figure that out their their unique individuality versus like just understanding how god has a plan for them and what what it takes sometimes to respond to that yeah. plan of god and uh so it's it's powerful and moving we and funny. <laughs> so, yeah, we had fun with that. I just want to say one more time, pay attention to the symbols. <laughs> <laughs> also, can you update us on what's going on with the TOB Institute? I certainly can. We have some exciting stuff coming up. We have our virtual conference coming up at the end of April mm-hmm. into the first weekend of May. It's free, but you got to sign up. Um, we have some great speakers, great topics. We have different kind of sections, breakout sessions, and topics that we're going to be covering. So go to the website and click the link below to learn more about that. We have a Theology of the Body Level 1 course coming up online um, next month in April. You can uh, click the link below to learn more about that. And we have a course, an online course coming up in May on Mary. This was my favorite course I've ever taught, Theology of the Body and the Marian Mystery uh, we're offering it online in the month of May for obvious reasons. Mary being, or month of May being the month of Mary. We also have a live course, Theology of the Body Level One, here in Pennsylvania. Here in Pennsylvania, that I'll be teaching in June. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get away for a five-day retreat in beautiful Amish country, southeastern Pennsylvania, uh, click the link to learn more about that. Would love to have you as a student. That will fill up quickly. Because in COVID times, we, we were at about half capacity right. for our classes. So that will fill up quickly. If you're interested in coming to Pennsylvania, uh, check out the link on that. Okay. And in this episode, for the first today, time, for the first time, mm-hmm. we're addressing our patron questions. That's right. right. This is a new thing. A new thing we're doing on the podcast. Starting today on this episode, our first question will be from a patron. If you are a patron... Log in to your patron page, tobpatron.com, log in, and you'll see in the sidebar menu towards the bottom is a place where you get to submit your question, and it gets, uh, you're in a much smaller pool there, Mm -hmm. and so there's a much higher chance that we'll be able to address your question. And if you want to become a patron to increase your chances that we'll get to your question, you can click the link below to learn more about becoming a patron. Okay. All right. So our patron question. Here we go. The first patron question ever. Here it is. What is it? This is from Lucy. Lucy says, I have several nieces and nephews who are cohabiting with their significant others. They have a completely secular view about their sexuality. How can I explain that living together before marriage is not a part of God's plan without having to explain hours of TOB right off the bat? I need to hook them with something so that they'll believe me, and then I can chip away with T.O.B. slowly. Bless you, Lucy. I I feel your love for these, did she say nieces and nephews? Yes. Yeah, what a good aunt. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, what a good aunt. Thank you for your, your love for your nieces and nephews. I say thank you because whenever we love, it goes out to the whole body of Christ, and we all we all benefit. And I kind of feel that. That's why I said that. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, is there a hook? Is there a one-line hook? Well, if there's a one-line hook, 
then a lot fewer people would be living together because people would have given them one line hook to convince them not to. So I don't know that there is a, a one line hook. What, what I think you can do, Lucy, is plant seeds, seeds that may not bear fruit right away. And I mean, I've never seen a seed go into the ground and have it bear fruit right away. The mm -hmm. whole analogy of the seed is that you're, you're putting uh, something in the ground that's going to take time to bear its fruit. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I really don't think there's a quick fix here, but certain seeds that you could plant, I would imagine, that could bear fruit would be talking about the nature of the human heart and its yearnings. The human heart is made for a love that lasts. And there's this, there's this irony in living together. It's like we're, we're trying it out because we don't want to get hurt. Mm. Right? Let's see if this works. But sexual love in its fullness, in the plan of God, is not something you can experiment with. Mm. The very nature of love is that the human being is is cannot be toyed with cannot be experimented with it's it's like a it's like a flip on the diving board you gotta commit to doing it or you're gonna hurt yourself oh. and there's this there's this idea that well let's live together to see if we're compatible let's live together to to see if we want to get married let's live together to see if you know whatever fill in the blank whatever it might be but by that very choice the choice being a lack of commitment. You're toying with the other human being. You're experimenting with the other human being. And you might, Lucy, just, you know, a little seed that you could plant is not even, not even leading them to believe that you're talking directly about the fact that they're living together. But um, I could imagine in a conversation talking about, uh, you know, what, what's the difference between loving someone and using someone? Uh, what's the difference between uh, manipulation and an authentic honoring of the person's freedom? Uh, what's Why does the human heart long for a love that lasts forever? Uh, why are there love songs on the radio that that um, talk about this this yearning for a love that will always last? You know, I'm thinking right now of will you still love me tomorrow mm -hmm. that song is a cry of the human heart that's sh sh confessing i don't want to be used i don't want to be treated as a thing i don't want to be experimented with i want someone who's going to love me forever why does the human heart cry out for that and why why are why are we hedging our bets or, or are we hedging our bets let's put it that way are we hedging our bets when when we're saying, let's just live together. Mm. You, you got to plant seeds that are not directly a confrontation of what they're doing, but will get them to think about the deepest desires of their own hearts and how can they truly fulfill those desires. And then they have to do the math themselves. It's not your job to convince them what they're doing is wrong. But in human, loving, normal interaction, we can get people to think, and I know people who planted seeds in my life that sometimes it took years for those seeds to grow and bear fruit, but thanks be to God, somebody planted that seed in my life. What are your thoughts, Wendy? 
Yeah, Lucy, I know that you know each of these members of your family personally and their you know, their situations to some extent in a way that is unique to each person. And so where you know what we are saying is in a general way that does apply like we have these deep desires to be truly loved and not hurt um and as christopher was saying like is it really gonna work to keep us from getting hurt this whole as they used to call it a trial marriage yeah. you know in the olden days that was the expression a trial marriage i'm not i'm sure your nieces and nephews don't call it that now um, they probably don't even think that's necessary to be thinking of marriage. You know, at least many people don't. But um, I also wouldn't hesitate to consider leaving a book with them or giving them a book with a some kind of loving note in it that maybe it's not easy to get their attention in a conversation or the settings where you find yourselves, but something that expresses your heart to them in a way that they can receive and encourage them to open the book. So that's just another thought. I'll offer one more thought to you, Lucy, that you were saying how they have a, a thoroughly secular view of their sexuality, and that secular view came through years of absorbing a message from the secular culture about what leads to happiness, what leads to the so-called good life. So again, I would invite you to recognize there's no quick fix here, but if you could commit yourself to a long-term vision. It took them years to absorb what the secular world was saying. It could take years for them to be converted. But can you commit yourself to a long-term vision of just planting seeds, little thoughts about what the good life really is? What, what does it even mean to have a good life? What is the human person really looking for? Evangelization begins with a reflection on desire. The first words out of the mouth of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John the Evangelist, right, is what do you want? What are you looking for? Uh, entering into conversations like that, what does the human heart really desire? And I would just add this, that the truth of the church's teaching on sexuality is confirmed in the wounds of a culture that rejects it. So talking about why is the culture hurting so much? Why are mm -hmm. relationships breaking down? Why are people growing up without fathers? Um, you know, the whole idea of living together in a sexually active relationship that's not committed is only possible because of contraception contraception is, we, we just take that as a given in the modern world, you know, when you view the sexual relationship through the lens of contraception, now a sexually active relationship without commitment becomes a possibility. There's a whole set of presuppositions uh, that go behind that view uh, that comes from contraception. You got to start chipping away at that view, you know, the things we take for granted that afford a sexually active cohabiting relationship. You know, in, in 1950, if a woman had a sexual proposition from a man, uh, she could rightly conclude, oh my gosh, this guy wants to be the father of my children and live with me for the rest of my life and raise a family. 
today, it just means, hey, you're hot and I want some sexual satisfaction out of you. Uh, that has molded and shaped and painted the way we see the sexual relationship. So plant seeds, plant seeds, uh, watch movies too, and have conversations. Watch The Truman Show. Read my write-up on The Truman Show in my book, Theology of the Body at the Movies, which is a free ebook. You can, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, Theology of the Body at the Movies. Pick any one of those movies and watch it with your nieces and nephews and talk about it. Uh, watch this Wild Mountain Time movie. Um, oh, watch Toy Story 3 and look at my write-up about Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3 is so profound. It's all about the unrepeatable mystery of the person and that you're not meant to be toyed with. You're not meant to be thrown away. Uh, that would be a, a great non-threatening way to enter into some of these themes. Mm -hmm. Just some thoughts. Yes. Okay. Next question is from an anonymous listener. Hello, anonymous listener. She says, I'm a wife and mother and a fairly new convert to the faith. I've been deeply grieved by the sins of my past. Even though I understand that through the sacramental graces of confession, I'm forgiven, I fear I must also seek forgiveness from my husband. In our courtship, I failed to confess to him my sexual past. These were things I had never spoken of to anyone until my confessor. And although I know I am forgiven, I'm still deeply ashamed. The encounters I had left me with emotional scarring and pain. My question is an earnest plea for spiritual guidance on what to do when I've brought my sins to my confessor, but I'm am unsure of whether or not I must also confess these to my spouse. Mm. I really hear this questioner's sincere plea. And Lord, I ask you to guide our words here uh, that we could reach her heart. It's, it's a very delicate matter, and there's no one-size-fits-all as a response. Uh, I, I would say this as, as a general principle, but it, it, there's no general application of this general principle because every marital relationship is different. But as a general principle, what I would wish for you as a wife what I would wish for you in your marriage, what I believe is God's desire for you in marriage, is that you would have a husband who would love you more, not less, love you more in your confessing that to him. What I would desire for you in your marriage is that you had a husband who would be full of tenderness compassion, and mercy. What I would long for you is that you would have a husband who would be living out his calling to love you as Christ loves the church. And that is how Christ loves the church, with tenderness, with mercy, with compassion. The, the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, knows what you were looking for in those disordered relationships. He knows that you were looking for him. Uh, think of the woman caught in adultery. There's that beautiful line in there that Christ was alone with the woman. Uh, what happened in that encounter? What happened in that aloneness when Jesus and this woman were alone together? She had been looking for love in the wrong place, in the wrong way, 
And then she encounters the bridegroom she had been looking for, and she heard those words, nor do I condemn you. Jesus also says, go and sin no more. He's not sweeping under the rug that this is wrong, that it was terribly disordered, but he's not there to scold or shame or condemn. My wish for you, my hope for you, would be that your husband would love you in that way. Can I guarantee that he will? No, I can't, because he's broken and he has his own issues. Um, but in as much as he is not able to love you in that way, if indeed he is not able to love you in that way, well, that just reveals his need for mercy, his need for that, that tender, merciful gaze of Jesus. We could, we could say it this way. When people have difficulty showing mercy, it's an indication of that they also have difficulty recognizing their need for mercy. Or we could flip it around and say this, those who are readily able to show mercy, it's an indication that they are well aware of their own need for it and have opened to receive it from mm. the Lord. That's what I would desire for you in your marriage, that your husband would receive you in that way. Uh, but of course, I don't, I don't know your husband. I don't know what his struggles are. Uh, that is not to say that your husband won't legitimately be pained by learning of this, because sin does cause pain. Uh, there is a sense of a betrayal there, even though it happened before, long before you were married. Um, it's, it's kind of infidelity in advance. So there is a wound there, but even, even in the wound, a husband should be able to show his wife mercy. I know of, of various situations from couples I've spoken to over the years, whether it's the, the husband who needs to confess something or the wife who needs to confess something, and when they have, uh, there's been a real struggle, almost inability of the spouse to forgive. And really and truly, that is the problem of the spouse. That is the problem of the spouse who is unable to forgive. It is not the problem of the one who has confessed. Uh, and, and man, it can be because our hearts are so complex here, those situations can be complex. So I don't want to give any one size fits all. I would ask you to seek a wise spiritual counsel here from someone who really knows you and knows your husband and knows the specifics because it may be the case that your husband is not in a place to hear this right now, even though the ideal would be that he would be, but it might be the case that he's not. I, I can only urge also a, a prayerful discernment and, and you know, taking like the very specific question. And sometimes we need to just focus ourselves um, on a single question that we're placing before the Lord Sometimes our hearts are so full that a million questions pour out and then we don't hear anything. Like, just take a step back and just offer a simple question to the Lord. Um, ask him to show you how he wants to heal that pain and scarring in your heart. It may be that it is through receiving the love and mercy of your husband mm. that he wants to bring about that healing because he wants to. Absolutely. It's it's. You know, if he can give you an image of that, and if you conclude that you're going to go forward, I'll also say this, because it has worked for me in sharing things with my husband, that 
it has been helpful for me to give some preparation before laying a big load on my husband, <laughs> like to say, you know, on a quiet moment, there's something really troubling my heart. Please pray for me. I'm, I'm trying to make sense of it. I need your prayers or there's something I'm, I'm, I'm going to need to share with you. And I'm praying that you'll be prepared or just things like that, that gives some advance notice because it kind of opens the other one up to a sense of like, this is an, an area where we need the Holy Spirit's presence in our exchange. And sometimes if we say everything all at once, our first reaction isn't to be open to the Holy Spirit. So that has helped us that in the past, and I only share it, I don't know whether it's helpful to everyone, but maybe some people would appreciate that approach. I had a weird thing just happen in my brain as you were saying that when yeah. I thought, wow, your husband's a really blessed man to have you as his wife. And I thought, what the heck? I'm her husband. <laughs> and it's true. I am a blessed man to have you as my wife. And I do. I can recall times where you've needed to share some heavy things with me. And mm -hmm. and you were very good at preparing preparing me. Mm -hmm. And it, it made my heart more disposed towards yeah. receiving something that was going to be painful. Right. But there is there is grace in the pain. Uh, yeah, I, I think we we may have said what we can about that. Mm -hmm. uh, please know we will be praying for you and lifting you up. Yes, and if I could just say again, the Lord desires your healing even more than you desire. Mm -hmm. Please look to Him as your healer and ask Him to show you the path. I have a question now from Justina. Hello, Justina. She begins, hello, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you so much for your podcast. You're welcome so much. She says, it has helped me greatly with understanding and accepting my body Aww. and God's plan for it. Woo! I love it. I've noticed that a lot of times sex is spoken of as a bad thing. For example, one of the titles of Mary is Mother Undefiled. This really confuses me because if sex is a good thing, why would it be referred to as being defiled? Could you please explain this to me? Bless you, Justina. Bless you. Uh, I, I've been through my own struggle with that title of Mary for the same reason. And I think it says more about the glasses we're already wearing than it says about what the church intends by that title. Hmm. Mary is undefiled. Uh, she, but, but we leap right away to think, oh, she's undefiled because she's a virgin. And then we leap, oh, having sex defiles you. And in this case, even if you're married, because Mary was married, right? Hmm. But Mary and Joseph never had sexual intercourse. So, we make those leaps mm -hmm. from this to that. Well, this means that, and this means that. Oh, well, that means that. And then we're stuck in a, in a Manichaean, that's the technical heresy that's being, that's involved here when we think spirit good, body bad, when we think sex is in itself tainted or evil in itself. Um, this is not what the church means by saying Mary undefiled. What the church means in saying Mary undefiled 
it's it's really a synonym for immaculate Mary, right? Mm. To be to be immaculate means there's no stain. Uh, a mac to be immaculate means you are stained. To be immaculate means you are not stained. Stained by what? Original sin. Mm. Original sin. And and here it would be a it would be a I'd need a doctoral dissertation really to unfold all the layers that are involved in talking about the connection between Mary's immaculate conception in the womb of her mother and why she remained uh, a virgin. But these, these are related in this sense, and I, I, can, I hope give a little bit of food for thought to, to point you, Justina, in the right direction to, I hope, kind of, um, if we can't rid, rid ourselves entirely right away through a, you know, a five-minute answer on a podcast, at least giving you food for thought that can, can help. Hopefully, you can catch yourself when you're thinking in the wrong way. So let's go back to uh, a basic principle. We're going back to the story of Genesis. We're going back to God's original plan for our humanity when man and woman were naked and felt no shame. And John Paul II says that in the beginning, nakedness without shame demonstrates that holiness had entered the world and was experienced in and through their naked bodies. Nakedness was the sign, John Paul II says, nakedness without shame was the sign that holiness had entered the visible world and was manifested in and through their bodies. Man and woman, before sin came into the world, naked without shame, enjoyed a communion, uh, a, a conjugal communion. John Paul II is very clear in saying that God's plan for man and woman to become one flesh was established before original sin, and they experienced some form of conjugal communion, and I say some form because the state of innocence is something we can't quite imagine. Mm. Uh, the, the state of being entirely naked without shame is something we can't quite imagine. We can imagine it, but we can't experience it. We, we get tastes of it, but, I mean, Wendy, you and I, we love one another dearly, but we can't claim to be 100% naked without shame, mm -hmm. right? We're working through our stuff. There's always more stuff to work through. There's always more that we got to expose to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that. They were immaculate in the beginning. They were naked without shame. They didn't have any stuff. They didn't have any hang-ups to deal with. Mm. They didn't have any brokenness to deal with. They didn't have any shame to work through. They didn't have any uh, uh, sexual distortions to work through. They didn't have any lust to work through. Naked without shame is the indication that they were immaculate. And in that immaculate state, they were virginal. Now, what do we mean by virginal? We don't mean that they didn't have some form of conjugal union. What we mean is that their bodies were perfectly integrated, body and soul. Virginal, in the broadest sense of the word, that as John Paul II uses it, refers to the perfect integrity of body and soul, untrampled by sin, undefiled by sin. It does not mean, and this is the Manichaean step we take, sex defiles. 
Therefore, sex is, it's the fact that Mary didn't have sex that makes her undefiled. If she had, would have had sex, she would have been defiled. Now, there are certain truths to that because the man she married, Joseph, was a broken man. He was a sinful man. He also was an awesome saint and one of the most awesome saints, probably the most awesome saint next to Mary, but he was not immaculately conceived, mm -hmm. which means he had bidness to deal with, right? It's our bidness, and by that I mean our brokenness, that ruptures the human being, ruptures the body and soul. That is, in the broadest sense of the word, the loss of virginity, is the rupture of body and soul caused by original sin. So John Paul II speaks in the theology of the body as authentic marital love being the source of a reclaiming, this is the word he uses, or the phrase, a reclaiming of your original virginal value. What does he mean there? Let's, you, know, you and I, Wendy, we, we can speak from our experience as a married couple. We've been married over 25 years. We both know that in those moments where we know grace is flowing through us and we are loving one another in a grace-filled way, not that we do that all the time and 100%, but we know when grace is flowing and we're open to it that our love is healing one another. Yes. Our love reintegrates us. That which is fractured in us comes back together. Mm -hmm. That which has, which is defiled gets cleansed. That which is wounded gets healed. That's the power of love. It heals. It binds. It integrates, right? This is what John Paul II means by authentic marital love, authentic sexual union of husband and wife, a grace-filled sacramental experience of the sexual embrace is not a loss of virginity, it's a regaining of that original virginal value. That's, that's what John Paul II says in his Theology of the Body. When we, say, when we say Mary is undefiled, what we're saying is she was never ruptured body and soul. When, she's, when we say she's immaculate, we're saying she was never ruptured body and soul. She is a woman of perfect integrity. That's what the church means when it says Mary undefiled. I love how through that, step by step through some theology and some exploring the story and the truths of our origins, that we've come to the place where while the question said, how can it be good if it defiles us, we're, we're realizing through what you're sharing that actually authentic sacramental marital union kind of undefiles us. Undefiles us, us right. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it undefiles us. It, yeah. it cleanses us. It heals the rupture. But lustful sexual union, it's not so much the loss of virginity as it is uh, the the further rupture, mm. right? We're already ruptured. All of us, unless you are immaculately conceived, you are ruptured. Mm -hmm. You're ruptured in body and soul. And lustful sexual experience is pouring salt on that wound, right? And simply being married is no guarantee that 
that your sexual experiences will be healing ones. Um, sexual experience, even within marriage, can also, if we're not seeking grace and open to that grace that restores and heals, if we're just coming into our to our marriage with our ruptured, broken humanity and dumping that on our spouse, then sexual union itself can be salt on the wound. Mm. And you and I have not been immune to that. I thought when we got married, just because I had the theology in my head, somehow that was enough to make what we are doing a, a real grace-filled experience, and that was not our experience. It's not enough to have just the theology in your head. We have to be open at a deep level of our hearts to the movements and action of grace for the marriage bed to become an experience that does not pour salt on our wounds, but actually becomes an experience of a, of a healing. In all of this, we need to know that we're in the Lord's hands, that He is not leaving us alone to yes. try... And He's merciful. ...just to get this all right. Yeah. You know, that's not a burden He's laying on us at all. We are in His hands. He is giving us graces. We don't need to be fearful. We can trust in Him. He's taking us each step of the way. So I want to encourage you in that. Yeah. I'll say this as in conclusion. The one thing that defiles is sin, and we cannot, must not equate sexual union with sin, right? And I'll, I'll add this, why then did Joseph and Mary not have sexual relations? Because sexual relations are a sign of the ultimate union to which we are destined, the union with the Lord, right? The one flesh union is a great mystery, St. Paul says, and it refers to Christ and the Church. The marriage of Joseph and Mary is unique in all of history because the wife in this marriage had already entered that ultimate union even while here on, on this side of it, so to speak. She, she consummated the ultimate union with love eternal and thus conceived the son of the living God. Sexual relations for Mary would have been a step backwards Right? Instead, she reached her hand out to Joseph and said, Joseph, come forward with me. Come into this ultimate union. Right? The, the, the Bible begins with the marriage of man and woman, but it ends with the marriage of Christ and the church. Uh, Joseph and Mary, their marriage is, is living out. It's mysterious. I can't put it into words, but their marriage is already participating in the ultimate consummation. Uh, you don't need the sign, which is sexual consummation. You don't need the sign when you're living the ultimate reality. And Joseph and Mary were already living the ultimate reality. Mary more specifically, but she, uh, she took Joseph's hand, so to speak, and said, Joseph, come with me. Come with me into this ultimate union. I, I hope, gosh, there's so much more I could say, should say. I don't have the time to say it, but take a Theology of the Body one course and you'll learn all about it. <laughs> How's that for a plug? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry to leave you dangling. I hope I'm not I hope people are not dangling out there. Maybe I I don't think so. No, I think did that I say was enough? Beautiful okay. answer, my love. Well, thank you. I hope it helps somebody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wendy, you hold my balloon down. As one as a student once said, one of my students once observed that I float up into the clouds very very easily and readily with all this theology and and Wendy grabs the the string on the balloon and keeps me grounded. <laughs> so thanks for holding my balloon there, You're Wendy. Welcome. 
Well, everybody, we're so grateful again for your um, questions that you send us. Keep them coming. Again, if you want to have a better chance to get your question answered on our podcast, we invite you to consider becoming a patron of this work. Uh, We can't do this work without our patrons. We're so grateful to you. We look forward to being with you on the next episode. Uh, If you know somebody who needs to hear what we shared today, click that share button. Get this message out to other people. That's how the the listenership grows. We're so grateful for those who, who do share these episodes with others. Until next time, know it deep in your bones. You are indispensable, irreplaceable, and you are an unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.